team so much for leading us this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 4, and we are continuing through this powerful, divinely inspired, authoritative word to the church. And, and I, I love the timing of this message and this letter, really, for, for the church in light of all we're walking through. It's just that we would keep our eyes on Christ. Uh, this letter was written by the Apostle Paul. And every time uh, you open the word or you read the word, uh, it really comes to life when you discover what were the circumstances around the letter, who's writing it, who's he writing it to. And so it's very um, just, I think, insightful as we open the word to, to see when we open the letter of Colossians, we are reading a letter that was written by the great apostle Paul and that he is writing it from a prison cell. And so I wanted that to kind of shape how we read this letter because it changes when you understand, one, who it's from and the circumstances around where he's writing it and who he's writing it to. So the Apostle Paul is writing to this young, growing, thriving church. Uh, their faith is strong. They are loving one another. They're bearing fruit. The Bible says they're increasing. God is doing an incredible work in the life of this church. And if you could sum up this whole letter in one central thought, it would be this, is that for those in Christ, and when I say in Christ, you have a relationship with Jesus. That if you have a relationship with Jesus, you have everything you need. That if you have a relationship with Jesus, you have everything that you need. The central kind of heart of this letter is Colossians chapter 2, verse 10, where Paul says, you have been filled in him. Another way to say that is to say you are complete in him. In other words, that with a relationship with Jesus, that you have been resourced by the creator, by King Jesus, with every resource that you need to become everything that God has called you to be. He has resourced us fully rigged. That, that complete word is a nautical term. It's a boating term. You have everything you need to set sail in this journey that he's called you to, to honor him, to make him known, to glorify him, and to live on mission for him. And in this letter, he laid out some really foundational, important truth regarding the person of Christ. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, that he died on the cross, that when he died on the cross, that he forgives all of our trespasses, those who place their faith and trust in him. The enemy's been disarmed, we're hidden in him. He's given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. So much incredible truth. But as he's walking through this church, he's like, listen, as, a, as someone who has a relationship with Jesus, someone who's in Christ, you have a whole new wardrobe than what the world may wear. And, the, and he's calling the church to put away, even put to death, these kind of sinful habits, attitudes, actions that don't bring honor and glory to Christ. Those don't fit the believer anymore, but rather to put on Christ. To put on the attitude of Christ, the, the characteristics of Christ, the character of Christ in our lives. Because here is the reality. And we're going to really dig into this, these next few verses today. But, it, but it's this truth, is that when you are saved, for those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ, when you're saved, you are saved for a purpose. That you're rescued for a reason. That we understand, and, and I believe this with all my heart, you have a pulse, 
You have a purpose. God has designed you to make a difference in this world for him. You've been saved for a purpose, an eternal difference to live life with absolutely in the present, but with eternity in view. I I read this kind of conversation between an older pastor and a high school guy. And here's how the conversation went. The pastor said, uh, so what do you plan to do with your life? Okay, the, the, the young man said, oh, I plan to go to college. Okay, plan to go to college, then what? Well, I plan to get a job, and I want to get a job, and I'm going to work my way up. Okay, then what? Then I'm going to get married, start a family, and y'all can guess what the next question is. Then what? <laughs> There's always a then what? Then what? He says, well, I'm going to have kids, and and my job and my hope is to one day give my kids everything they need so that they, they can pursue whatever, uh, you know, whether it's college or work, what it might be for them. And the pastor said, well, then what? Well, I plan to retire. I'm going to enjoy life and I'm going to travel. Then what? <laughs> well, he says, I guess at, then at some point I will die. And the question is, then what? See, the reality that we find ourselves in is that this is a fading time that we're in, that it's temporary. The Bible describes it as a vapor. It's here for a moment and then it's gone. And so that we have this temporary time that we're living in. And so why would we invest all of our time and our energy and our focus on something that will just pass away, but rather that we would invest our lives into what matters for eternity. And this is what Paul's going to help us. Paul's going to help the church say, hey, here's how you live a life for eternal significance. I, I, and that's my heart. As a believer, I want to live this life that brings honor and glory to him. So what does that look like? How do we do that? And in these verses, he's going to lay out how. He's going to lay out how the first instruction that Paul gives the young church on understanding you've been rescued for a reason, you've been redeemed for a purpose, God has designed your life to be, to make an eternal impact for his kingdom. How do we do that? First is you pray intentionally. You pray intentionally. That's where it starts. It starts in prayer. In Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4, Paul says this. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving, And at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, an account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Paul's saying, if we want to live a life of influence, I want to live a life of influence, then we must begin with prayer, intentional prayer. It means that you do it on purpose. It's deliberate and then he walks through these few verses. And just in these few, few verses, we see incredible teaching on prayer. And what that looks like in our lives. The first is that we see that we are to pray faithfully. To pray faithfully. In verse 2, Paul says, continue steadfastly in prayer. That word continue, if you were to dig into it, it is a command. It's not a suggestion. It is this command. Listen, this command to continue steadfastly in prayer. That means it's devoting time, it's devoting attention, it's devoting strength, it's devoting energy to this great privilege that we have as believers to pray and not to lose heart. I mean, 
it's impossible to know for sure, but my hunch is that there are folks that are in the room now that are listening online that are struggling, weary, tired. And the encouragement here is that there would be a steadfastness in prayer to not lose heart, to not lose heart. I, I love the, the, uh, the prophet Elijah. Um, loved it so much, I named my son after Elijah. Uh, Elijah, the prophet Elijah. James, in his New Testament letter, in James chapter 5, he teaches us about the prayer life of Elijah. I wanted to read it just briefly, but he says this. It says in James chapter 5, verse 16, it says, The prayer of a righteous person has great power at its working. Other versions say it avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on earth. And then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. One of the reasons I love that passage is because we look into the Old Testament a lot of times when we see these heroes, these great men and women of faith that just kind of set that example of honoring God in a culture, even a godless culture at times. But what I love about this is in verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. In other words, Elijah was one of us and we're one of Elijah. I mean, we can relate with him. He, he didn't have it all figured out. But yet the Bible says is that he prayed fervently and it mattered and it made a difference. So Paul is encouraging you want your life to make an eternal impact, to, to live a life of influence because that's what he's called you to do. He's called us to be. It's to pray faithfully, that prayer, praying faithfully is that we're in constant fellowship with God, that prayer is as normal as breathing is to our life, that we pray faithfully, but also that we would pray vigilantly, vigilantly. And again, in verse two, Paul says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. To be vigilant is to be alert. It's to keep watch. Paul is saying, stay awake, stay awake in your prayers. Don't fall asleep because drowsy prayers are distant prayers. Uh, quick poll this morning. How many in the room love to sleep? Let's just see who you are. Okay. You love to sleep. All right. All right. You're not alone. You're amongst friends, right? Uh, some people would even say they have the, the spiritual gift of sleeping, right? I mean, it's like, it's, it's incredible. I can literally sit down. And if there's like nothing going on around me, and sometimes there are things going on around me, but, but like if I'm still, it's over. Like I will fall asleep sitting up on a couch. I mean, there are times, I mean, I lay my head down on a pillow at night and it's like a nanosecond. Like I'm, I'm out, I'm checked out. Paul's saying, don't check out. Don't check out in your prayers. Um, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I'm just going to share it. Uh, there are evenings when I'm laying in bed. It's been a long day. Lights are out. I'm laying flat on my pillow. I, I have a my pillow. I'm a satisfied customer. <laughs> it's a great pillow. And, and, I, and I lay in there and I'll kind of grab my wife's hand and I'll just kind of, you know, I'm going to offer up a, an evening prayer just as we're kind of going to sleep. And, and all of a sudden I feel like a hit or a punch or an elbow to the ribs. Are you asleep? Are you asleep? And I totally fall asleep. By the way, like I'm, I'm my effective prayers are not going to be effective laying down lights down after a long day, okay? But what Paul is teaching us, he's like, church, listen, don't be drowsy in your prayers. Stay alert. Stay alert. Be watchful. 
uh, on the evening of Christ's betrayal in the Garden of Gethsemane, he takes Peter, James, and John a little further. And he encourages them in Matthew chapter 26. Jesus says, my soul is sorrowful, even to death, remain here and watch. Keep awake with me. Christ goes a little further by himself. Dr. Luke teaches us that Christ buries his head in the dirt, praying sweat drops of blood. We see this intense communion of God the Son and God the Father, understanding what Christ is soon to do on behalf of sinful humanity. And yet we see this communion with the Father and Christ returns to his disciples and he finds that they are asleep. He says, my soul is sorrowful, even to death. Remain here, keep watch. And as Christ is praying, he comes back. So could you not watch with me one hour? That word watch. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He goes to pray again. If you're familiar with the story, they, they fall asleep again. They're, they're sleeping. They're sleeping. And Christ is encouraging them, listen, stay awake. Be vigilant. He goes on to say in verse 45, sleep and take your rest later on. The hour is at hand and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. And so this teaching on prayer, live a life of influence starts with prayer. We pray faithfully. We pray vigilantly. But we also see pray thankfully. Again, in verse 2, Colossians chapter 4, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. This is the fifth time in the letter that he's spoken about thankfulness. And I think he's trying to get a message to us as the church that we must be a thankful people. If you're looking for ways to fan the flame of your prayer life, pray with thankfulness. That I, I'm convicted and I'm, I hope... I hope you understand like this message is to all of us. Like I'm preaching to myself here is that there would be no prayer that I would offer up that would not include thankfulness in it, that we must be a thankful people. And Paul over and over again in this letter, over and over, he's saying, be thankful, be thankful, pray in thankfulness. And as I was preparing, here's something that, that, that was kind of brought to mind is that one, Paul is writing from a prison. He's writing from a prison. That's important. And I think it's also important to remember, if you remember the story, it's over in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, but there's actually a story that tells us that Paul was given a thorn in the flesh. Now, this is the only place he talks about it. But I think it's important because we, we don't know exactly what it was, but we know it was a thorn in his flesh. And we know that this is something that Paul lived with, that he lived with this. I'll, I'll read a portion of that passage, 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9. Paul is saying, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. He calls it a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, listen to this, my grace is sufficient for you. And for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul is living with this. And yet he is encouraging the church. Always be thankful. From a prison cell and a thorn in his flesh. He's encouraging the church to be thankful. Be thankful. Paul pleaded. 
The Bible says that three times I pleaded. Paul is pleading with the Lord. And God said, no, no, no. But here's what God said. I'm going to give you my grace. I'm going to give you my grace. And my grace is going to be enough. It's going to be sufficient. Because my power is made perfect in weakness. I've, I've shared before, and I know many of you know my, my lovely bride. Uh, she was diagnosed with lupus, a disease, 16 years ago. And, and that journey has been one of ups and downs. There's been seasons of remission and signs, uh, seasons of, of great stress and, and battle. Uh, and, and so as we've walked through that, uh, and, and I'm learning through my wife, has a, a gratitude to God as she's walked through this. Because as we, as we walk through as a family, as a couple, as a family, we begin to thank God for how much he's taught us through this. You learn so much in a struggle. You learn so much in a journey. He's taught us how to prioritize. That, that you learn that some things are just more important than other things. That God has taught us that sometimes you have to say no to good things so you can say yes to the best thing. That through it, grace, you understand that God's grace truly is sufficient. Paul is speaking from experience. A lot of times you listen to somebody when you know what they've been through. Paul's teaching from prison with a thorn in his flesh. And he's encouraging the church. Want to live a life of influence? You pray. And you pray thankfully. Pray faithfully, vigilantly, thankfully, and also specifically. Verse Three, Colossians 4, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Paul, the, the, Paul is giving the church prayer request. How can I pray for you, Paul? Put yourselves in the shoes of Paul. What are you praying for? I'm praying to get me out of here. That's what I'm praying for. I'm praying for, I'm not praying necessarily, I, I want to say I'd be praying for an open door to share, but I'm also praying for an open door to get out of here. Paul has such a spiritual maturity and a spiritual depth that when he prays, he is not praying generally, he's praying specifically, and he's praying for an opportunity, an open door to share the love of Christ with anyone that his path may cross. He's teaching us how to pray specifically oftentimes. And I'm, I'm guilty, top of the list. Great at praying, maybe generalized prayers. General prayers. Just those big sweeping statements. Lord bless. God bless. God bless them. God bless America. God bless this family. God bless our church. God bless our business, our company. But, but I believe the enemy trembles when we share specific requests. Like... Moving even beyond the God blessed to God, here's specifically how I pray that you would move and work in this situation. That speaks of an urgency of this prayer of lifting up an open door to share. And not just an open door to share specifically, but he also asks prayer first to speak with clarity. Anything Paul could be asking for prayer for, he prays that I'll have opportunities to share the love of Jesus and he says that when I share that, I will speak Jesus clearly. And so as believers in Jesus, are we equipped to share Jesus? To verbally share the gospel? 
that we would be equipped to, to be able to navigate those conversations in grace and in truth, that we would be able to communicate the fact that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that we need a Savior, that there are many people who believe they are good people, but I haven't met a perfect person yet, and I haven't met someone who said they were perfect. And so even in the I'm a good person, you can dig down and you can discover that really nobody is perfect. And the Bible says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and our sin carries a consequence. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. OK, the gift of God is eternal life. And so sin separates us from a holy God. That sin separates us and God must judge sin because he's holy. He's got to judge sin. He can't allow sin into heaven. And so there's nothing we can do, but there's something God can do. And God did what only God could do for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that who would, whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So God so loved you and God so loved sinful humanity that he made a way where there was no way. That he loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus, lived a perfect sinless life, was crucified on the cross, a price that we should have paid. And that he was placed in a tomb and he rose from the dead. Christ came to make payment, to satisfy the payment for our sin debt. But it doesn't just end there with acknowledging our need for a savior and believing that Jesus is who he says he is, there must be a time and a place where we repent of our sin and we place our faith and trust in Christ as Lord. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so repentance is you change your mind. You change your mind. And so you change your mind about self and about sin and you turn. Repentance is turning and you surrender yourself to King Jesus to receive him as Lord of your life. And here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, pray for me, pray for me specifically for an open door and pray that I share in clarity. We want to live a life of influence. It begins with prayer, but it continues as we walk wisely. We pray intentionally, but we walk wisely. In verse 5, the Bible says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. I think it's interesting that before Paul ever talks about the words that come out of our mouths, he talks about our lives. He talks about our actions. I believe that's intentional. I believe that's uh, a reason that he's wanting us to understand that our, ma our actions matter. That if you want to live a life of influence, that we need to walk wisely. John MacArthur says this, what believers are gives credibility to what they say. And so who we are gives credibility to what we say. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Outsiders. Who are the outsiders? The outsiders are those who don't have a relationship with Jesus. If we go back and we look at the big picture of this letter and we, we kind of refresh on why Paul wrote this letter. One of the reasons was because of the false teachers that had began to pressure this young church. And not only that, but they were inside the church, Colossians tells us, trying to take captive their minds and lead them astray. And Paul is saying this, listen, I want you to be salt and light. I want you to pray and I want you to walk wisely toward these outsiders. Walk wisely, walk wisely to walk 
is a present active imperative. It's a command. It means that you would continually, habitually, and consistently walk in wisdom. To walk wisely is to live a life in a way that God's spirit and God's word influence every action that you take. Galatians chapter 5 shares what's called the fruit of the spirit. And maybe you're familiar with the fruit of the spirit. You might have grown up and you memorized a song with the fruit of the spirit. But it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That, that this is who the spirit is. And that as a believer, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. And that we would put away our flesh, put to death fleshly desire. And we want to go after this, this spirit-led life, yielding to the spirit. Because this is attractive to a world that needs Jesus. Think about it. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. When people see this in your life, they are drawn to it. How in the world, when there is such unrest in our world, how do you have such peace? How is it when there's such a lack of peace that you have such hope? How is it that you're not fretting and anxious right now? How, how is it? It's because this is the life that we've lived, this relationship with Jesus before others. And as believers, if we're not careful and not actively putting to death and putting away the old things, those old things still creep up. Instead of love, people see hate. Instead of joy, people see misery. Instead of peace, people see anxiety. Instead of patience, people see impatience. Instead of kindness, people see meanness. Instead of gentleness, harshness. Instead of faithfulness, faithlessness. Instead of self-control, they see out of control. This is walking wisely. Walk wisely toward outsiders. And then he goes on to say, making the best use of the time. Other translations say, redeeming the time as you go. It's this picture of buying up every opportunity while there's still time. There's an urgency. There's an urgency. Buying up time. Urgency as you have time. Uh, in just a couple hours, I'm going to be hopping on an airplane with my sister. And we're flying down to Central Florida. My, my mother lives down there. And we are packing up my sweet Mama Rita. And we are bringing her up here. So, so you haul all that, doing it all. We're going to fly down. You haul tomorrow, pack it up, and then make that lovely 14-hour drive up here on Tuesday. Here's the thing. A couple weeks ago, we're looking at airline tickets, typing it in, and it's amazing. You can get, there's two tickets left at this price if you buy now, right? And so my wife and I were looking for tickets, and we're, we're kind of like, we should probably buy this ticket right now. I mean, what happens tomorrow if the, the sale's over or whatever? And then we kind of go on two days later, and it's like, hey, there's only three tickets left at this price and it's like $1 more. And, and what they're saying is they're creating a sense of urgency. Like you're going to miss out if you don't take advantage of this opportunity. And this is what Paul is helping us understand. He's like, church, this is a temporary time. As believers, we want to live a life of influence. We need to live with a sense of urgency, urgency. And so we pray intentionally and we walk wisely. Paul's saying, act now but he doesn't end there we want to live lives of impact we need to pray intentionally we need to walk wisely but a third truth we see in this text is that we would speak graciously speak graciously outsiders are going to see the way we live our lives and it's going to be through the way we live our lives walking in wisdom that along the way 
there's going to be an opportunity to share the hope that is in you. And it's what you will say is that we will be shaped by grace. Verse 6 says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let your speech always be gracious. We are to speak graciously. What you say matters. How you say it may matter even more. Grace, if you define it, is getting what I don't deserve. And so that you always speak graciously. If you read the text, oftentimes you'll see little footnotes, things like that. There's no footnote beside always. Always means always. That this should be the the uh, the description of our words that we're to speak graciously it communicates that every word is lovely and beautiful because we understand that out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks whatever you draw up from the well comes out in the bucket like it's gonna it's gonna be there so we got to guard our hearts through all this don't you think about the conversation you have the amount of words you say i did a google search just because i was curious like how what's the average number of words people say in a day and, and the number was, the, on the low end, this is the lowest number, 7,000 words a day. 7,000 words a day. The, the high end of the average was 20,000 words a day. <laughs> All right? Now, if you're the 20,000 word a day person, you know that and we love you, okay? So, so it's all good. It's all good. We average, we're somewhere between 7,000 and 20,000. But here's the thing. Paul's saying this in such a way you want to live a life of influence, then what you say, every one of those 7,000 to 20,000 words carry significance and to be seasoned with grace, to be gracious. It goes to say to be seasoned with salt. Salt adds flavor. Salt adds flavor. It was also a preservative. And so it was added to purify what it would be holding. And so salt, salt is pure, it's wholesome, and that pure words would flow from a pure heart. James, the half-brother of Jesus in James chapter 3, says this about the tongue. He says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. No, no person can tame the tongue, but all things through Christ. Verse 9, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? And so this picture is pure. Pure. Our words are pure. He says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that know, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. That we have interactions. God's design is that we're engaged in interacting with others in our world, pointing them to Jesus. Peter gave us some great instruction over in his letter, 1 Peter 3.15. He says, but in your hearts, honor Christ. Honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you and do it with gentleness and respect or meekness and respect. Meekness carries that, that understanding of power under control. So that as we share, we're sharing in meekness 
and we're sharing in respect and we're sensitive to those we interact with. And he packs it all up and Paul is pleading, I believe the Holy Spirit inspiring Peter or Paul to us through this letter. He is saying, listen, I have designed you to make a difference. I've designed you to make a life that's going to have an eternal ripple effect. Don't let this time pass. Live on mission. Live for His glory. Live in Christ. And here's how we do it. It starts with prayer. And it, it, it through prayer and through His grace, the presence of His Holy Spirit, we walk wisely. And as we walk wisely, the words that we share with those around us are going to be gracious and seasoned with salt. And we're going to have divine opportunities to where we speak and have an opportunity to share the greatness of God. And Paul says this, be ready, be ready, so that you may know that you, how you ought to answer each person. So in closing, I would just share a, a practical challenge for us as a faith family. And that would be this, is, is I don't know what your prayer life looks like. I don't know. I know what my prayer looks like only because it's me, okay? Oftentimes we get kind of hung up in comparison trap because we compare what we, what we know about ourselves to what we don't know about other people. Nobody ever wins that. Listen, a relationship with Jesus is just that. It's a relationship. It's your relationship between you and God. And my encouragement to us as a faith family is that if we want to be a, a church of influence, then that means that as the church, we as believers are living lives of influence. And how do we do that? We start with prayer and we pray intentionally. We pray steadfastly. We pray vigilantly. We pray thankfully. We pray specifically. What would it look like if you committed to a time and a place? Now, I'm a believer, like pray without ceasing all through the day. Absolutely. But there's also something special about setting aside a time and a place, specifically where you read the Word and you pray. What would it look like if we set aside a time and a place every day this week specifically to pray? Specifically to pray, specifically to intercede. And not only in that, here's what we pray for. We pray for an open door. We pray for an open door. Let the adventure begin. That's what I say. You start praying for open doors and you're sensitive, and your, your eyes are open, that we would pray for an open door. And not only that we would pray for an open door, that, but God would give us the courage to share the gospel with another person. Not only that, that God would help us live lives in the Spirit, full of the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit, Galatians 5. That we would live out the fruit of the Spirit. And not only that, God help me, help my language, help my tongue, help my words to be gracious. And if we intentionally prayed specifically in those ways as a church, what could happen over the course of this next week? And so the encouragement is let's, let's go for it. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's walk wisely. Let's speak graciously. And let's see what God does as he opens those doors. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this letter. Thank you for the encouragement. Thank you for the challenge that's found in it. God, I pray that you would, uh, through the work of your spirit, allow this text to captivate our heart in such a way that we truly realize 
that we've been entrusted with a mission. That we've been entrusted with a mission and it is an adventure. God, you've created us for influence. I'm convinced there's nobody here that wants to waste their life. God, help us. Help us, Father, to be committed to you, living lives of influence, praying specifically and intentionally, thankfully and vigilantly, steadfastly, God, help us to carve out that time to to speak with you and to commune with you. And sometimes it's even just to be silent before you. Do a work. Pray for open doors. God, I pray that as believers, even today, God, as we walk out, that before we lay our head down at night, that there's been an open door and that you give us the courage, the boldness, and the, the words to share Christ. God, help us to walk in wisdom. But God, thank you also for your grace when we don't. Father, we are flawed and we're works in progress and we always will be. Thank you for your grace. But God, in your strength, help us to walk wisely and help us to speak graciously. Help us to make an impact for you. This is how we're going to do it. Paul speaking to a church that had false teachers pressing in and even on the inside trying to take them out. Paul saying, here's how you're going to be an influence. Here's how you're going to do it. Pray, pray, pray. Pray steadfastly. Walk wisely among them. And you're going to make an impact for Christ. Help God us to awaken to this mission that you've called us. Understanding that every word that comes out of our mouth may be gracious. And God, I pray for someone who may be here today. And as they hear this, they've heard the gospel. They've heard of your love. God, they've heard of your great care and that in our brokenness that you so love the world that you sent your only son, Jesus. And there's no way we can fix ourselves or mend ourselves. But Father, you come to us in our sin and you call us out. And God, that it is only through you that we can be forgiven. God, you came, lived a perfect, sinless life to pay the price for our sin, placed in the tomb and rose from the dead. And Father, I pray for anyone who may be here today who doesn't have a relationship with you, that they would acknowledge their need for you. They would repent and turn from their self and sin and turn to you and receive you, King Jesus, as the Lord of their life. And they, too, be entrusted with this great mission to make you know. God, do a work in our hearts. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to have a, a song of response and I just want to encourage our faith family. We're going to have pastors down front. If we could pray over you, for you, that would be an incredible gift. You want to pray at the altar, please do come and pray. But let's give this time to the Lord and be sensitive to Him. If you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I plead with you, come to Jesus. Give your hearts to Jesus. Let's pray and give this time to the Lord.